how should followers of Christ relate to the Old Testament scriptures? I'm going to make it more personal. What do you do with the Old Testament? What do you personally do with the Old Testament? I had a class in seminary that was essentially called the problem of the Old Testament and and recognized that for centuries Christians have struggled with with, with how to read and understand and apply the Old Testament as Christians. Let me introduce you to three friends of mine that take different approaches to this. So first, there's Get With It Gabe. That's his name. Get With It Gabe. All right? And Get With It Gabe, here's, here's his approach. Jesus has come, so get with it. The Old Testament is old news. He, he, he discards the Old Testament. He, say, he says, now that Jesus has come, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. That's the Old Testament. This, we, we're New Testament people. He, he carries one of those little orange pocket Bibles that has the New Testament. In it. And he likes the Psalms and Proverbs, so he's glad those are there. But he doesn't need anything else. Get with it, guys. Jesus has come. That, that's get with it, Gabe's approach. Just discard it. Now, I have another friend. Call him Kosher Kevin. Okay, Kosher Kevin, as you might expect, is kosher. He observes all the food laws. He observes all the cleanliness laws. He observes every law he can. And, and, and he treats the Old Testament for what is this? This is the Word of God. And so I read it and I do it. That, that's what Kosher Kevin does. He just, he just applies the Old Testament straight away as much as he can to his life. And then uh, I have another friend, personal preference Pete. Personal preference Pete picks and chooses because he doesn't understand how Jesus coming changes things. He knows Gabe's not right. I mean, he knows the Old Testament still matters, and he knows that Kevin's not right. He, he knows that it doesn't, it doesn't just apply in the same way, but he really has no idea how to read it. He knows Jesus' coming must have changed something, but he's not sure how, and so he just picks and chooses. So he opens the Psalms, and if there's an imprecatory psalm, he's like, no, 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 that's, that, that's, that's definitely not the kind of thing that we would do today as Christians. But then a praise psalm, yeah, that's for us still. Or, uh, or the laws, they'll say, yeah, yeah, this law about marriage and, and sexuality in the Old Testament, yeah, that, that, that's still good, but this one about, about the food, that's, that's no good. He doesn't know why he's making these decisions, though. It's just his personal preference. Well, we may find ourselves somewhat closer to Gabe or somewhat closer to Kevin. Likely, sometimes we feel like Pete. But if we want to know how we should relate to the Old Testament then what we need to know more fundamentally is how the Old Testament relates to Christ. If we want to know how Christian, as Christians we, we should read and understand the Old Testament, we need to know how the Old Testament relates to Jesus. You can open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 this morning. We are in the Sermon on the Mount, and we had just finished the introduction last week in the Beatitudes and the applications of being salt and light, and, and now we're beginning a new section. For the rest of chapter 5, Jesus is going to be giving instructions and commands, and he's going to say them this way. He's going to say, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And we're going to see over the next few weeks that when Jesus is doing this, he's, he's not replacing Old Testament commandments with his own commandments. He's not doing that. But to people that were listening, it kind of sounded like he was. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. As his Jewish hearers heard this, it kind of sounded like he's saying, is, 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 he, 
Is he replacing the Old Testament? Is he giving us new commands and getting rid of the old ones? And so before Jesus goes into these instructions, in our passage today, what he does is he clarifies his perspective on the Old Testament scriptures. And he clarifies his relationship to the Old Testament scriptures. He wants us to know in advance that he is not uh, replacing the Old Testament. And so this morning we're going to read verses 17 and 18, and, and we're asking the question this morning, how does Christ relate to the Old Testament scriptures? And the goal as we do that is, to, is then to, to ask and answer the question for ourselves, how do we relate to the Old Testament? How do we read and understand the Old Testament? And, and church, this is so significant, isn't it? Because this is two-thirds of our Bible, right? This is, this is 39 books uh, that we have in our scriptures that we, we sometimes don't know what to do with. And so a prayer that this morning will be a help and an encouragement to us as we understand what Christ says in these verses. So let's read Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Read it again. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. In these verses, Jesus gives us two fundamental truths about his relationship to the Old Testament. Two fundamental truths about, about how his coming uh, affects our understanding of the Old Testament. Two, two, two basic starting points for uh, understanding how we relate to the Old Testament scriptures through Christ. So, so first fundamental truth is this. Christ upheld the authority of the Old Testament scriptures. Christ upheld the authority of the Old Testament scriptures. Christ upheld the authority of the Old Testament scriptures. Look what he says. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now when Jesus says law or prophets, this is referring to what we know as the Old Testament scriptures. This would be like in the New Testament saying, uh, do not think I've come to abolish the gospels and the epistles. And that's basically everything, right? That's what Jesus is doing. He says, I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures as a whole here. And, and to abolish something is what? It's to put an end to something. It's to get rid of something. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I did not come to put an end to the Old Testament. I did not come to get rid of the Old Testament. I did not come so that we'd move on from the Old Testament scriptures. That's what he says. Don't, don't think I've done that. You might hear my teachings and, and wonder if I'm doing that, but I'm not. He says, I'm not abolishing the Old Testament. And then he says in verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So an iota and a dot, what, what, are, what is he referring to there? He's referring to the smallest markings possible in the Greek language. It was the, it's like us saying the crossing of a T and the dotting of an I. He said, even the smallest marks will not pass away. He's saying not a single stroke of the Old Testament scriptures will lose authority. Not, not, not one verse, not one word of the Old Testament scriptures are going to lose their authority until, until when? He says, until heaven and earth pass away. And he says, until all the law is accomplished. 
These two statements are referring to the same thing. When will heaven and earth pass away? When will all be accomplished? It's referring to the new heavens and the new earth. It's referring to when Jesus returns and when he establishes the kingdom of God. He's saying, he's saying until Revelation 22 comes to pass, every verse of the Old Testament will continue to bear the authority of Scripture. There will not be a time until the end when the Old Testament is, is no longer Scripture to God's people. I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. He upholds the authority of Scripture. Now at this point, you may have a question that's lingering in your mind. You, you, you may be thinking, but didn't Paul say that Christ abolished the law? Didn't Paul say that Christ abolished the law? And the answer is yes, Paul said that. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Paul is talking about the unity that Christ has brought to Jews and Gentiles. And this unity comes by, by breaking down the dividing wall of hostility, which is represented in the Old Testament law. And here's what he says in verse 14. Ephesians 2, 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How did he do this? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Okay, so, so here Paul says, Jesus abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He, he, he got rid of it. He put an end to it. That's the same word. He abolished the law of commandments. But didn't Jesus just say, I, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets? Is this just a straightforward, flat-out contradiction in Scripture? Well, no, I want you to skip forward ahead a few chapters, or a few pages in Ephesians, just a few pages to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, because this is the same letter, right? Same person writing, same context. And look what he does here, Ephesians 6, verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Where is that from? It's from Exodus. That's from the law. That is, that is one of the commandments that God has given. And now Paul, who just said that Christ abolished the law of commandments, he, he takes one of those commandments and he speaks it to the church and applies it to the church. So, so what can we learn from that? If you look at Ephesians, what can we learn about, about how an early Christian, one of Christ's apostles, interpreted Jesus' statement about not abolishing the law? What, what are we seeing? Well, here's, here's what's going on. Christ abolished certain functions of the Old Testament, but he did not abolish the authority of the Old Testament. So important to, to, to grasp that. He abolished certain functions of the Old Testament, but he did not abolish the scriptural authority of the Old Testament. In other words, those certain parts of the Old Testament don't, don't apply to us in the same way they used to. God still speaks to us through all of it. So, so if we take a food law, for instance, where we see in Acts that Jesus specifically says to Peter, those do not apply anymore. Take up and eat. Right, which is great news for those who love bacon. Right, But so take up and eat. So, so Christ abolished that law, yet when we go read the food laws, God is still speaking to us through those. 
God is still, God is still saying something to his people today through those laws. There's another passage that sheds light on this. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Another one of Jesus' apostles describing the way that the Old Testament scriptures now relate to God's New Testament people, the church. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, this is one of the most mind-blowing passages when you really think about it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 say this, Concerning this salvation, the gospel, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, the Old Testament prophets about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ from the subsequent glories. It was revealed to the Old Testament prophets that they were serving not themselves, but you, New Testament believers, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So, so here's what Peter's saying. saying. The Old Testament prophets understood that what they were writing in the Old Testament scriptures was for believers in Jesus, was for the church. So we read the Old Testament and we can say, this is for us. God was speaking to us the whole time. Not that there was no original audience and no, no meaning that they could understand in the Old Testament times, but here he says that they were searching, they were inquiring, there was mystery to it. It wasn't clear to them, it wasn't clear to them what it meant, but he's saying it was revealed to them that they were serving the future church, the future people of God. And so again, Christ did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. He did not come to end the Old Testament. He upholds the authority of the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, God is speaking to us. The Old Testament is God's word to his New Testament church. And so first application this morning, do not discard the Old Testament. Now you may not do that formally, but do you do that functionally? Do you read the Old Testament? If your spouse wrote you a three-page letter, would you only read the third page? Well, I hope not. <laughs> right? You would read it all. But if we don't read our Old Testaments, we are ignoring two-thirds of what God has said to us. We're ignoring a significant amount of God's very words to us today. Christ did not come to put an end to the Old Testament. Christ did not come to abolish the Old Testament Scriptures. And so do not discard it, either formally or functionally, but read it. Now, you may be saying to yourself, I, I agree with everything that you're saying, and I would read it if it just made a little bit more sense to me. Maybe we don't read it not because we, we don't believe it's God's word, but because a lot of the time we have no clue what it means or why it matters, Right? And so this leads to the second truth, back in Matthew chapter 5 now. First, Christ upholds the authority of the Old Testament scriptures. Second, Christ fulfills the meaning of the Old Testament scriptures. Christ fulfills the meaning of the Old Testament scriptures. Look at what he says. I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to... And how does he end that sentence? What well, he... He said, keep them, but to keep them. No, that's not what he says. He did that. Jesus kept the Old Testament scriptures, but that's not what he says, is it? I, I, I've not come to abolish them, but to explain them. 
No, it's also not. He, he did that. He explained the scriptures to us. That's also not what he says. What does he say? I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Which, which is an amazing word. When you realize that Jesus, he's talking about the scriptures. He's talking about God's word to his people. He's saying, I've not come to get rid of them. I've come to fulfill them. What, what, a, what a startling statement. I've come to bring them to their intended goal. I've come to finish them. He says, I've not come to end the Old Testament scriptures. I've come to complete the Old Testament scriptures. He completes them. And this, this was Jesus' self-understanding. This was the apostles' understanding that Jesus is both the central subject and the ultimate meaning of the Old Testament. And church, I just want to say, this is the foundation of everything I believe as a pastor. Jesus is the center of the scriptures. Jesus is the, the meaning of the scriptures. It is all about him. And that affects everything we do. Look at Luke 24 with me. Luke chapter 24. Jesus has died and risen again. And he appears on the road to two unnamed disciples who, who do not recognize him when he comes. And he, they're, they're sad. And he asks them, why are you sad? What's, what's happened? They said, don't you know what's happened? In, in Jerusalem, and they tell him that we thought Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, but he was crucified, and now his body's gone. And look at Luke 24, verses 25 to 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See that, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beginning with Moses, beginning in Genesis, and just going forward from there, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He, he takes them through all the scriptures and he says, that, that was me, that was me, that was me, that was me, all the way through. Showing them they were all about him. How we wish we could, we could have heard that sermon, right? Heard what Jesus said in that moment. But, but you know what? We, we don't need to guess because the New Testament does it for us. The, the New Testament tells us the things that Jesus said. The New Testament shows us how Christ fulfills the Old Testament. Turn to the book of Acts, verse 17. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And here we see the Apostle Paul, and he is preaching to Jews about Christ, and, and look what he does. When, when Paul went to a town, when the apostles went to a town, what did they use to convince the Jews about the gospel? And here we see Acts 17, verse 2, and Paul went, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And, and this is talking about the Old Testament scriptures here. There's no New Testament yet. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining from the scriptures and proving from the scriptures that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Paul preached Christ from the scriptures. He reasoned from the scriptures. He explained from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah and had to die and rise again. 
Jump down in this chapter to verse 11. We're in a new town now called Berea. And here, these, these, these Jewish believers in Berea are described in verse 11 as more noble than other Jews. And here's why. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So, so these Jews are pouring over Again, what we know is the Old Testament. They're pouring over the scriptures. They're examining them. They're searching them. And they're asking themselves, is, is this really about Jesus? And look, verse 12, many of them therefore believed. Therefore, they believed because they read the Old Testament and they saw that it was about Jesus, they believed in him. And then turn with me to John chapter 5. One of my favorite Verses. You know, sometimes people say, do you have a life verse? This is my life verse, all right? John 5, 39. Surprising choice, maybe, but look at what he says. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, wait a second. Like, that, that sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Who would, how, how many of you have ever said that to somebody? You think that in the Bible you have eternal life? And that's what Jesus says to them. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. I thought we were Bible people. I thought that, that the Bible was where we find life. And, and Jesus says, you, you're searching the scriptures. You think that in the scriptures you have eternal life. But what, what does he say? It's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You can read your Bible all day long, all your life, and if you don't see Jesus, you do not have eternal life. If, if, if your Bible reading, your devotion to the Bible, and your belief that the Bible is the Word of God does not lead you to come to Christ, then you do not have eternal life. You are still condemned. The Bible is doing nothing for you. The scriptures testify to Jesus and they lead us to come to Jesus. And listen, we live in the Bible belt. That's where we are. We're in the Bible belt. Our, our culture is a Bible believing culture at large. And there may be someone here today who, your whole life, you would say, I believe the Bible. But that's not the question. The question is, is, through the scriptures, have you come to see Christ? And have you personally come to Jesus? Have you come to Jesus through the scriptures? Have you seen that they are talking about him? They testify to him, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection. Come to Jesus. Repent of your sins. And put your faith in him and give your life to him and you have eternal life. The scriptures testify to him. And until you see that, you do not have life. What are all these passages doing? They're all telling us that Jesus is the central subject and the ultimate meaning of the scriptures. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And so, while our first point, the application is don't discard the Old Testament, the second application is don't miss the point of the Old Testament. So don't discard it. This is God's word to us, so read it. But as you read it, don't miss the point. It's about Jesus. I want to read a quote from J.C. Ryle, who was a theologian and pastor in the 19th century, and, and it's a little lengthy, but here's what he says. It's so helpful. In every part, of both testaments, 
Christ is to be found. Dimly and indistinctly at the beginning, more clearly and plainly in the middle, fully and completely at the end, but really and substantially everywhere. Christ's sacrifice and death for sinners and Christ's kingdom and future glory are the light we must bring to bear on any book of scripture we read. Christ's cross and Christ's crown are the clue we must hold fast if we would find our way through scriptural difficulties. Listen, Christ is the only key that will unlock many of the dark places of the word. Some people complain they don't understand the Bible. And the reason is very simple. They do not use the key. To them, the Bible is like hieroglyphics in Egypt. It's a mystery just because they don't know and employ the key. I charge everyone to ask himself frequently what the Bible is to him. Is it a Bible in which you have found nothing more than good moral precepts and sound advice? Or is it a Bible in which you have found Christ? Is it a Bible in which Christ is all? I tell you plainly, if not, you have hitherto used your Bible to very little purpose. You're like a man who studies the solar system and leaves out the sun. It's no wonder if you find your Bible a dull book. The Bible is all about Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And until we see that it testifies to him, then we're not seeing scripture at all. We're not understanding it. Well, I want to equip you this morning to do this because it's one thing to say Scripture points to Christ, but when you actually open it up and read it, how, how does it do that? How do we see Christ in the Old Testament? And this morning, I want to give you four of the main ways that we see Christ in the Old Testament. Four ways of seeing Christ in the Old Testament Scriptures. And, and listen, there are a lot more than this. This is just, this is a lifelong journey of learning to see Christ in the scriptures. But here's four of the dominant ways that we see Christ in the Old Testament. And I hope and pray that practically this equips you tomorrow morning even to open your Old Testament and as you read it to be led to come to Christ through the Old Testament scriptures. Four ways of seeing Christ in the Old Testament. First, see Christ in the Old Testament by reading the individual stories as part of one grand story. Read the individual stories as part of one grand story. The, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament make up one meta-narrative, one great gospel story. And, and, and there's different ways to, to outline this story, there's different ways that, that theologians and pastors have, have explained the story, but maybe the, the simplest way is to say that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth. And it was good, and it was glorious, and man and woman were at the very center of that creation as his image bearers to know and enjoy him. But sin entered the world, and sin led to the curse and to the fall and to our separation from God. Those first three chapters of Genesis set the stage for the, everything else in the scriptures, because what did God do? He set out on a plan of redemption. In Genesis 3, he promised a seed that would come to crush the head of the serpent. And you know what? Don't leave that seed in Genesis 3 when you read your Bible. As you go through the Old Testament, think to yourself, where's the seed? Where, where are we in this story? God, God promised that he would send a seed of Eve to come and crush that serpent. So where, where are we in the story? And that seed traces its way through Noah and through Abraham and through Abraham's sons, through Israel, through David, through David's sons, all the way to Jesus. 
And so you keep in mind the grand story of Scripture as you read. You, you, you ask yourself, where are we in the story right now? And you remember the way that it all fits together. Second, see Christ in the Old Testament by remembering that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. That's, that's a verse from 1 Corinthians. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. When you're reading the Old Testament, you come across a promise and the Old Testament is filled with promises. Remember, that promise finds its yes in Christ Jesus. That promise is fulfilled in Christ Jesus and no one else. And, and here's, here's one way to think about it is, is uh, you know, some promises are, are, are more straightforward, maybe, right? So we, we see the promise of a new heaven and new earth in the Old Testament, and the, and, and the New Testament promises that same thing to us. And it says Jesus is the one who will bring that promise to us. Uh, but here's a, a different promise we see in the Old Testament. We see a promise from God to Israel that he would rebuild the temple. And, and it, it, it's going to be much more glorious and magnificent than the first temple was. So Israel comes back from exile, and, and they rebuild the temple. But you know what? They're, they're weeping about it because it's not nearly as glorious as the old one was. And, and so what's happened? Is God, God's promise failed? No, but then the New Testament comes, and, and Jesus says... Re, uh, tear down this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. He's speaking of himself. He's saying, I'm the temple. And then the Testament says that, that, that we're the temple. God's people are the temple. And then it points us to, to the new heavens and new earth, which is described as one cosmic temple. And we see that promise being fulfilled in this magnificent way through Christ. Now, now that original promise, we might think, well, but what about the temple? We might think, well, is there supposed to be a literal temple somewhere? And, and I think this is a helpful illustration that, that if I was a father at the beginning of the 20th century, I could promise my, my children, I'm going to get you a horse on your 16th birthday. I'm going to get you a great horse to ride around. But then, before they turn 16, you know what happens? The car is invented. And so, so what I get them on their 16th birthday? I get them a car. And you know what? They're, they're not going to say, like, you promised a horse, Dad. No, they're like, thanks, Dad. Thanks for the car. This is like, what, two horsepower back then, right? But, but they're excited about the horse. And, and what's happened? Uh, time has moved on. Things have developed. And now this promise takes on a, a greater form. That, that's kind of what you see with the Old Testament promises, that, that as redemptive history develops, these, these Old Testament promises that, that in many ways looked, looked very physical, very material, very, very earthy in some ways, they become not less physical in the end, but they become much greater and grander and more magnificent than they first appeared through Christ. But the point is, even if sometimes we don't understand how it's going to finally be fulfilled, we don't know what the new heavens and new earth is going to look like exactly, but we know it finds its yes in Christ Jesus. So we see Christ in the Old Testament by reading the individual stories as part of a grand story, by remembering that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ, and then third, by recognizing how people, events, and things prefigure Christ. How people, events, and things prefigure Christ. So here we're talking about characters in the Old Testament. We're talking about, about the Exodus. We're talking about the exile. We're talking about uh, uh, the, the Jordan and, and the conquest of the Promised Land. We're talking about the, the tabernacle and the, and the sacrifices and the priesthood. We're talking about all of these things and all of them prefigure Christ. They're all shadows pointing to Christ, who is the substance. They're all, they're all types of who Christ really would be. And this is, this is something that's so rich in the Old Testament scriptures. But let me just give you one example 
If you're in 1 Kings, you're going to read about Solomon. And you're going to read for about seven or eight chapters about the glory of Solomon's reign in Israel. And it's just going to describe to you how much money Solomon had, how much gold he had, how prosperous the kingdom was, how much peace they had, how the nations around him would come and, and they wanted to hear from Solomon. And, and you're reading this and you're wondering, as a Christian today, why am I reading about Solomon and how much money he had and all the peace of Israel and the Queen of Sheba coming to him? Like, how does that help me today? Right? It's one of those passages that might think, this is obscure and confusing and eight chapters, why is this here? But, but listen, Solomon was the son of David. And God promised David that his son would sit on the throne of Israel forever and ever and establish the kingdom of God, which would be marked by what? By prosperity and by peace and by the nations coming in. And Solomon was not that son. Solomon was a son of David. And for a moment in time, Solomon pictured that kingdom. But then what is Solomon failed? Solomon sinned. And yet we read that. Now we can say this is a picture of what Christ will do, truly, fully, eternally, here in 1 Kings. And that's just, just as one example, one way that we, that we connect these Old Testament figures and stories and scenes and things to the New Testament fulfillment in Jesus. We do this with the sacrifice, we do this with the, the temple, we do this with the exodus, we do this even with the Psalms and the Proverbs, and, and yes, even the Song of Solomon points to Jesus. It's all about him. Recognize how people, events, and things prefigure Christ. And then fourth, and maybe most importantly, church, when you're reading the Old Testament, how, how, how does the Old Testament lead you to Christ? How can we see Christ in the Old Testament? By realizing your own desperate need for Christ. By realizing your own desperate need for Christ. When you're in Exodus and you are reading about Mount Sinai, and about the, the glory of God as a devouring fire. You know what? The people were afraid. And the people didn't want to come to God. They, 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 they wanted to stay away because they were sinners and they were terrified of the holiness of God. How does that lead us to Christ? Well, it shows us that, that we need a mediator. We need someone like Moses to go up into the cloud and meet with God, and we need, we need someone to come bring him to us, to bring the glory of God to us, and Jesus, Jesus came and tabernacled among us, let us build this morning, it's just, and so we're, we're drawing these connections, but, but here what we see is, is the Old Testament constantly shows us, I need a Savior, I need hope, I need salvation. Think about Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, this book that just, just for the most part, it says you're going to die and therefore your life is meaningless. There's not that there's no hope in Ecclesiastes, but it's a very, very depressing book. All right? It really is. It's right there in the scriptures. Why? Because Jesus rose again. And because those who have the hope of resurrection will, will never die and, and, and their life will not be meaningless. Paul says, because Jesus has been raised, that our labor is not in vain. And so we read Ecclesiastes, and we, and we, and we realize, I need hope, and Jesus is that hope. I mean, just throughout all the Old Testament scriptures, we realize our desperate need for Christ. 
And again, we're just scratching the surface here. The, the Old Testament scriptures are so rich in showing us Jesus. So, so powerful and amazing and, and wonderful in leading us to Christ. I, I want to go back to the scene on the road to Emmaus. And after Jesus left those two disciples, he opened to them the scriptures. He showed them how they were about himself. And after he left, they're talking to themselves. And here's what they say to themselves. They say, did not our hearts burn within us while he opened to us the scriptures? Did not our hearts burn within us while he opened to us the scriptures? What is, what is that burning they're talking about? Our hearts burnt within us. You know what that means? It means we're not our hearts thrilled as he opened to us the scriptures. We're not, we're not our hearts moved. We're not our hearts just compelled and bursting with joy as he opened to us the scriptures. As he showed us how the scriptures are all about him. It, it thrilled our hearts. They were burning within us. We were ready to jump out of our skin. Why did their hearts burn within them? Because Christ showed them himself in the scriptures. Church, nothing will thrill your heart like seeing Christ in the scriptures. Nothing in this whole world will thrill your heart like seeing Christ in the scriptures. And here's why. Because when we see Christ, we behold the glory of God. Nothing will thrill your heart like seeing Christ in the scriptures. Because when you see him, you're beholding the glory of God. And this is what we want when we open our Bibles. Every time, we don't just want rules and, and regulations to follow. We want to see the face of God. We want to behold the glory of God. This is what we are made for. This is a fish finding water to swim in. And when we see Christ, we behold the glory of God and our hearts burn within us. Don't settle for anything less when you read your Bible. Don't settle for anything less when you teach your Bible. Nothing will cause your heart to burn within you like seeing Christ in the Scriptures. So church, don't discard them. Don't discard your Old Testament. Don't, don't ignore it. Don't turn away from it. And at the same time, don't miss the point when you read it. Read it and study it and meditate on it until your heart burns within you as you behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. I pray that this week, I pray that even tomorrow morning, you will wake up and you'll open your Old Testament and you will read it and meditate on it and by the grace of God and the Spirit of God that you will experience your heart burning within you as you behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ.